Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Tonight's reading is from Luke chapter 4, and we'll be starting at verse 14. Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. All right. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's John, and uh, I have the great privilege of hanging out with teenagers and helping people to find their place here at St. Matt's. And tonight, as we come to this passage in Luke's Gospel, I want to ask you the question. Well, you, you see, we've been talking about That's My King. Last week we saw a video, and I want to ask you the question, do you know him? Do you know this King Jesus? You see, his hometown of Nazareth, thought they knew him and thought they knew what he was on about and and what his life was for. But the local boy of Nazareth, Jesus, uh, you see, he came back after he'd been out all across the Galilean region, which was like a big region around there. And this is what he said. So Luke 4 verse 16, he says this, he said, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up on the Sabbath day. He went into the synagogue as was his custom. You see, Jesus, as he was kind of travelling around the Galilean region, he became quite famous. 
famous for his teaching and famous for what he was doing. And he'd come back home to his town of Nazareth. Now, uh, I'm not sure if many of you have heard of a place called Yeovil. Anyone? Yeah, my youth leaders will have. That's good. Um, Yeovil was the place that I grew up in. And it was about 250 people in the middle of uh, western region of Australia near Dubbo. And it was small, right? That's kind of like what, it, what Nazareth was. About 250 people probably, not a massive place. And the synagogue, well, it was not like a giant temple, but it was probably just like a room. And people would come and they'd gather together to sit under God's word. And so Jesus had come home to Nazareth, and this is the beginning of his public ministry as he steps into the synagogue. And his public ministry, how's it been going? Well, it's been going pretty gangbusters. Galileans are loving him. Look with me at verse 15. This is what he says. Luke, he says, he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Everyone praised him. So like, he was doing pretty well. And then it says he he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he came back to his home synagogue, which was just like a room where people gathered. And it was his custom to go wherever he was there. And he did that. And at the end of verse 16 it says, he stood up to read. He stood up to read because that's what would happen in synagogues. They would, uh, everyone would stand up together along with the person that was reading the scriptures. They'd stand up together and the, and the reader would read the scriptures and then they would sit down in their chair up the front to preach. So I'm going to, no, sorry, I'm not going to make you stand up for the rest of the sermon. But, they had a respect for the scriptures. And what happened was Jesus got the scroll. It was handed to him. What does it say? And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So he took it from the attendant. He unrolled it. This scroll would have been just Isaiah. And so he unrolls it and he finds where he was looking for. He finds the verse that he was going to read. And it was chapter 61 of Isaiah. So it's this long scroll. Might have rolled it down the aisle trying to get to the right spot to chapter 61, because he knew the purpose of that reading then. And so he gets to it. He didn't have chapters or chapter numbers or verses or headings or page numbers like this. Okay, So he found it and he starts to read. Verse 18 of Luke. Here is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He rolls it up, he hands it back to the attendant and he sits down. All eyes standing, looking towards Jesus, fixed on him as he sits down ready to preach. In verse 21, he begins his sermon by saying this. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Boom. It's like the Hebrew mic drop, right? This one line is what he says. The Messiah you've been waiting for, open your eyes. He sits in your preacher's chair. Imagine missing church that day when the Messiah 
is fulfilling the promises that have been promised for hundreds of years before this. You know, today we can see how prophecies have already been fulfilled in Jesus and we look forward to when prophecies are still yet to be fulfilled. We look forward to that day. But, you know, there aren't many times I've sat in church and seen a prophecy fulfilled. Jesus is saying that God's mission to repair the relationship with God is happening this day that Jesus set foot in that room. Now, uh, what does Jesus what does he say about himself by this scripture? Well, he says that he is anointed. He is the anointed one, or literally the Messiah one, the one that has been promised from God. And this word Messiah is the Hebrew word, which was then turned into the Greek word, which was Christos, which was then turned into our word, Christ. Because Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Christ is Jesus' title. He is Jesus, the anointed one, the Christ the Messiah, the promised Saviour from Yahweh. And he says, the Father has messiahed me. And then he finishes, we're going to get to the next bit, but we're going to get to that last line where he finishes his reading, which says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This is referring back to an Old Testament law, which was called the year of Jubilee. And if you know your Bible well, Leviticus 25 uh, this is where kind of God puts this, this uh, law out to say we need a year of release and freedom. Every 50th year was to be set apart to bring release and freedom. And what it meant on that year was that any debts cancelled. Any land that was taken from someone was to be returned back to that person. Uh, the uh, slaves, they were to be set free. It was like a big reset button for God's people. And sometimes I think about the Old Testament laws and I go, man, I'm glad the ones about bacon and things like that we don't have to keep. But this one, well, this one would be pretty good, right? But I can't find any record uh, in, in the Bible of this actually being practiced by Israel, where they would actually practice this year of Jubilee. But Jesus says, this day when he sets foot in that room, he says, today I am fulfilling this promise, this prophecy. He is saying, I am the anointed king. I am the anointed king. And what did this anointed king come to do? Well, it's right there in verse 18. To proclaim good news. This good news was freedom for the humble, the poor and the unlikely. Good news for those who don't have it all together. Those that don't look all well, proper and prim and... Is that right? Prim and proper. I got it around the wrong way. People that didn't have it all together. Right? The poor, the prisoner, the blind and the oppressed. That's the four that are in this prophecy. That God came for those. Now, it's very quick and easy for us to kind of go, oh, that's the... That's the physically or the economically poor, those who are in prison, those who can't see literally, and those who are oppressed. While this does bring good news for them, it's talking about a spiritual reality. A spiritual reality that we're just going to spend a little bit of time thinking about. So the first one, to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, the poor here, as I said, not economically poor, but those who are spiritually poor, those who know that they do not have 
that relationship. Those who know that they are poor in spirit. Matthew 5 talks about when Jesus came and he talks about the Beatitudes. What did he say? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see God. So we're talking about spiritually poor here. And then the prisoner. We're not talking about the physical prisoner because Jesus' own cousin. Who's Jesus' cousin? John. John the Baptist. That's right. He was in, he was in jail and uh, he sent a question to Jesus. He was asking a question. And Jesus didn't even visit him. But he sent a message back and kind of answered the question. And that question probably meant that John the Baptist was in prison for longer to the point where he was beheaded. So we don't see Jesus at any point in the Gospels uh, release anyone physically from, from prison. We're talking here about a spiritually spiritual bondage, a bondage to sin, to Satan and to death. In chains to sin and death. That's what he means by a captive, a prisoner. All right, so we've done the poor, then we've done the prisoner, and then now we come to, he's come to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind. To open the eyes to salvation, to the salvation that God holds out in Jesus. That is what Jesus has come to do, to proclaim the eyes opening. And later, Jesus would say to Paul in Acts chapter 26, talking about Paul's ministry, he would say this. He said, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from, power, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Open their eyes spiritually to the salvation that they can have. In Christ. So we've talked about the, uh, the poor, the prisoner, the blind, and then now we come to the oppressed. And this word oppressed is literally crushed, shattered, or broken into pieces. And Jesus is saying that he's come to proclaim freedom, to set them free from the oppression that they are facing. The oppression of being weighed down by their sin and by life circumstances. Jesus offers freedom here. He's come to set the oppressed free. So, we can see here that Jesus is good news for the poor, the captive, the blind and the oppressed. Jesus is great news. This is the gospel that we talk about. Now, Jesus was just the local boy from Nazareth and he set foot back in town and Nazareth was stoked that Jesus was back, back uh, in their place after becoming some famous guy that's been walking around Galilee. And at first, the Nazarenes, they liked what they were hearing from Jesus. They were enthralled at his words. Verse 22 says this, All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. That's not uh, gracious in being gracious, but it's the content of what he was saying. It's this idea that they were amazed at the grace that he was holding out in fulfilling or in sharing the fulfilment of this prophecy. But then they started to question that line there, isn't Joseph, isn't this Joseph's son? 
It's kind of like, you know, isn't that Joe's boy that, you know, Joe from just down the road? You know, like I know that he's a great carpenter. He, he made the table out of back. It's awesome. But could the Messiah have really come from that family? That's kind of where they're at. Jesus knew the hearts of the people in that room and he sensed their doubts. He knew what they really wanted. They wanted these miracles and he chose not to do any miracles in Nazareth as he would in Capernaum. Because Jesus knew that the Nazarenes, they would never believe what Jesus was saying, even if he did these miracles. Jesus is saying, in verse 23, he's saying, you just want me to do miracles. You don't get this good news that I'm offering, that I'm bringing to those who are humble and poor and the unlikely. Jesus, knowing their hearts, knows that no matter what he preaches, that these people will not truly believe Jesus. So then what he does is in verse 24, he says, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And then he goes on to give two examples of prophets who were not accepted in their hometown. The first one is Elijah and the widows. And what he's doing is he's holding out a question, and I want you to have this question in mind. Nazareth, have you ever wondered why? Nazareth, have you ever wondered why? And then I'm going to read to you from verse 25 and 26 what happened for Elijah. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, any of the Israelites. But to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And so what Jesus is holding out to those in that room, in that synagogue, was Nazareth. Have you ever wondered why God did that? Have you ever wondered why Elijah didn't go to any of the widows in Israel, but instead ministered to somebody outside of God's people, to someone from Sidon? Nazareth, have you ever wondered why? And then he just kind of leaves that question hanging. And then he presents another a prophet who did the same thing. Elisha from verse 27. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed. Not one of the Israelites was cleansed. Only Naaman the Syrian. Nazareth. Have you ever wondered why God made that decision? Have you ever wondered why Elisha didn't heal any lepers from Israel, but went to Naaman, someone from Syria, and healed them instead? And he leaves the question hanging. He doesn't answer it, he just puts it out there. But the Nazarenes, they got what Jesus was saying in this moment. It wasn't some nice story about prophets. It was actually a rebuke. He's saying that the Nazarenes are just like those Israelites from the time of the prophets. Those Israelites that were rebellious and ignorant of God's message and went another way. Jesus was actually passing judgment on them, knowing what they would be like. And it was a prophecy of what was to come, of what they would do. Jesus is saying that you, my people of my hometown, are no different from your ancestors. 
You are so ignorant of the good news I bring. And the Nazarenes, they've been reminded that the ministry of the Anointed One, the ministry of the Messiah, the Christ, was for, not for the people that were well put together, but for the humble, the poor and the unlikely. Jesus was taking the message to the people who would listen. And the Nazarenes understood that. Verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. What a turn. First, everyone was praising him throughout the whole region of Galilee and then they were amazed at what he was saying and then now the power of his words have meant that they now want to kill him. They get together, they form a committee after they heard this sermon and they vote. They decide to get rid of Jesus. Now, um, I've preached some stinkers of sermons in my life, um, but I've never been <laughs> taken out of the city up a hill. It's not my better night, no. Um, but they walk him up a hill to kill him. But Jesus, he knew what he had come to this earth to do. Verse 30, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. He knew what that way was. He knew that he'd come. Uh, later in, in Luke 9, he'd talk about how Jesus turned his face toward Jerusalem and was resolute. That is, that he was so set on going to Jerusalem because he knew what was going to happen in Jerusalem. That he was going to give up his life as a ransom for many. And so he went on his way. I don't know whether it was like ninja moves or um, I don't know what it was, what happened. But he just made his way through the crowd and left. Went on his way. So this is the Jesus. This is the king, the anointed king that we talk about, that we follow. Do you know him? Do you know this Jesus? We need to know Jesus and we need to know ourselves. You see, we are outside of Israel. We are Nazarenes. We, uh, you know, don't live in Israel. We don't come from that line. But Romans chapter 3 says this. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Neediness is everywhere. Everyone is in need of a saviour. We are in need of a saviour. And if you don't know it, you are in need of a saviour. Jesus didn't die for some future us. He didn't die for some you know, better self than you are now. He died for you today. For you in where you are in your sin today. Christ died while we were sinners. You don't have to get your life together before you come to Christ. Come to him today. He wants you as you are. But he'll help free you from the poverty, from the captivity, from the blindness that you face and from the oppression that you face. And so Jesus is saying, come humbly to him. The stories of Elisha and Elijah, they're there to show us that God shows no partiality. 
There is no longer Jew or Gentile. It is for all people. God came to save all, not just some holy few. So, if you haven't come to Jesus, or you've maybe wandered away from him for a while, tonight, I want to urge you, come to Jesus. Whether you're high or low, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're religious or irreligious, whether you're a Panthers supporter or an Eels supporter, everyone, everyone is in need of a saviour. And everyone is welcome. Jesus is holding out the good news to you. The poor, the captive, the blind and the oppressed. And Jesus says he has good news for you. Come to Jesus. How you are today. So come to Jesus. For those of you who know that you're walking with Jesus, celebrate in that. But know that the good news is for the poor, the captive, the blind and the oppressed. Jesus, understanding his mission when he came to this earth was to bring good news to the poor, must also shape our mission as the church and as individuals. Um, It's easy to become complacent as a Christian, to have come to Jesus, to have accepted the gospel for ourselves and to kind of just keep it to ourselves or to maybe feel like it's a little bit uncomfortable to share it with particular people. You know, that, you know it's much easier to only share it with put-together people, the presentable sorts. But I want to say that's, um, that's scandalous. That's a complete warping of God's mission. If we hold it to ourselves... We are not living out the good news that Jesus has given us. This good news is for the humble, the poor and the unlikely. So I want to ask you, church, some questions that I've had to ask myself this week. Are there kinds of people who would walk through those doors, feel welcomed by the people that stand there, by your community group, and they walk through and they come and grab a seat? And yet they don't feel welcome. Are there particular types of people that wouldn't feel welcome in our church? Why? What is it? What is it that we need to change? That's the first question. The second one is: Are there kinds of people that you wouldn't invite to post night church hangs? Are there people that maybe you go, oh, it's just a bit too hard, you know? I'm asking these questions uh, because I struggle with these as well. The next question. Are there kinds of people that you find too messy and inconvenient to share the love of Christ with? Or, even more, we've seen Alpha advertised over the last few weeks. Is there someone that you know that you should have invited but you just haven't? Because you just don't want to? I've been there. I have moments like that. 
But these are the people, these are the kind of people who Jesus declared the Lord's favour was for. The humble, the poor and the unlikely. Do those people find your favour? We spent some time looking at who Jesus is and who we are and our call to live out this gospel. But I want to take us back. I want to remind ourselves of that good news that Jesus came to proclaim. As kind of an encouragement for us to take the good news, as an encouragement to receive the good news. I want to go back to it. So verse 18 and 19. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus, after his sermon, was taken out up to a hill in Nazareth. But that wasn't the hill that Jesus would die on. Jesus proclaimed the good news from that day forward as he spent time going through different regions toward Jerusalem. And he was opening people's eyes to the salvation that he was holding out, that he was bringing, that he would then climb a different hill carrying your cross and my cross. He would then hang on that cross, taking the punishment for our sin, freeing us from the oppression and the weight that comes on us because of our sin, to give us spiritual wealth and inheritance that would never perish, spoil or fade. This is the Jesus that we follow. That's my King. God, we thank you for all that you have done for us. We give you thanks for Jesus, for the life that he lived as he came to proclaim good news to the poor, to the unlikely. God, we give you thanks that you have brought that news to us today. That through the scriptures, of Old Old Testament and New Testament, that you are able to help us to receive the good news from the anointed King. Jesus, we give you thanks that you willingly walked up that hill, carrying our cross, our sin and our shame, that you were nailed to that cross, taking that shame upon yourself, so that you might give us freedom. Jesus, we give you thanks. We give you so much thanks. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Bend Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.